1: Hello. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening, wherever you are in the world and whatever time of day it is. Uh, it is the usual team back again for another episode of GodPod. So it's me, Graham Tomlin. We have Michael Lloyd. Hello. And we have Jane Williams as well. Hello. GodPod has become an awful lot easier since we went into lockdown. We can just log on to our Zoom accounts and talk to each other. Uh, and doesn't mean we had to travel across. Parts of the country which we used to have to do. I guess it's a lot easier for you, isn't it, Mike?
2: It's a lot easier, but there are a lot fewer biscuits, and uh, that's a problem. I, I, we ought to give people our individual addresses so that they can send in cakes <laughs> to us. Yeah, so that we we are definitely not missing for such bit. deprivation.
1: It would be interesting to do a study as to the kind of um the, the quality of the discussion since the biscuits have disappeared during lockdown.
2: Yes, well, it is Lent, I suppose, so. Well, it, it is. may be appropriate but so um, it could
0: be very plain biscuits couldn't they that would be fine
2: they could be yeah. p- plain chocolate biscuits yes.
1: <laughs> plain lentil biscuits a bit like mike's seeds and lentils that he often eats yes, yes, that's true. His diet of his
0: but i'd sort of somehow feel this they haven't been true godpods while we've been in separate rooms there's there was something yeah. when we started the joy of just sitting together and talking about theology was what set us off, wasn't it? And um, I look forward to being in a room with you two again I, at some point.
2: I look forward to that as well, Jane. Mm-hmm. And yeah. not just to the biscuits, but to those <laughs> as well.
1: The day will come. The day will come. Anyway, today we thought we would, um, at it's just the three of us, uh, no guests today, and whether that's good news or bad news for those of you listening. <laughs> but... Um, We thought we would uh, do as we've often done in the past, which is just to pick up one or two uh, listener questions. And just a reminder, if you have a question you would like us to consider on Godpod, you can send that in to godpod at htb.org. So godpod at htb.org, and that will um, find its way to us. We can't guarantee to answer every question that comes in, but um, we uh, normally sift through them and look at ones that we find particularly interesting and have a go at answering them. So we've got a couple we'll have a go at today and see how we get on in um, uh, today's So the first one is from um, uh, Matt Parsons. I don't know where Matt's from, if you're listening, Matt. Hello, thank you for your question. And uh, the question is this. So um, Matt has obviously been reading Acts, Book of Acts, and uh, he's noticed something in the Book of Acts. Is quite interesting he says that uh, why did the writer of acts who of course is luke because luke acts is two-part story of jesus in the early church written by the same author so why did the writer of acts want to make stephen seem so much like jesus and he tells us he's full of the spirit he baffles jewish leaders he performs miracles he says stephen says as he's being martyred as he's being stoned um, in front of Jer- in jerusalem don't hold this sin against them just like jesus Uh, says on the cross forgive them for they do not know what they do what is Luke trying to tell us uh, asks Matt do you think Stephen did act just as Luke says or was he trying to make a point so um there's the question um why does Luke seem to depict Stephen in a way that makes him sound quite like Jesus so there's our question so Michael Jane any observations thoughts and comments on this one
2: I think Luke is trying to make a point. Uh, and, and it's a, a, a very obvious, but a very profound point. And that is that the mission of the church is to embody the mission of Christ uh, to the life we live is the, life, the, the Christ-shaped life as laid out in volume one of the gospel. Uh, and therefore, if the life of Stephen looks suspiciously like the life of Christ, that's because he has the spirit of Christ living within him. Uh, and the spirit of course is a, is a hugely Lucan e- e- emphasis uh, in, in both ways. So I think it, it's it's trying to say, look, this is what Christian life looks like. This is what Christian community looks like. This is what Christian mission looks like. It's suspiciously like uh, that of, of Jesus himself. Now, uh, do I think that, uh, Stephen's made it up to look like that. No, I don't, I think there's something genuine about uh, a life that's open to the spirit that it has a Christ look and a Christ flavor and a Christ feel to it. Um, and if, if none of these things actually did happen, Stephen didn't do any of these things or say any of these things, uh, then Luke's um, got a struggle on his hands to be honest. Uh, to make that case no it's a case that cries out to be made from the the, the way in which the early followers of, of Jesus reeked of him in a in a, in a fragrant and, and beautiful way
0: and it is a point as you say Mike that um that is made then through the rest of Acts that the the presence of the holy spirit transforming us into the likeness of christ enables all kinds of extraordinary things to happen and it is very striking that stephen as he dies looks up into heaven and sees jesus he sees um the son so it's so it isn't that that he himself has has become jesus in any way but he has become one who knows his complete uh dependence and um and uh, on jesus and that that and that jesus is his is the shape of his whole uh life and his hope so for stephen that isn't a um it isn't a waste that he's he's dying at this point because he is going to be with jesus um and and so luke's point is 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 not that that we become jesus but that um but that we are uh, drawn more and more into the, as mike says into the shape of the life of jesus um And uh, obviously, again, a completely bluing obvious point that um, it it needs for for Jesus to exist, for us to become like Jesus. Um, So it's not that we could do it without, Um, it is that shape that is necessary. And of course, the other thing that's really striking about the martyrdom of Stephen is that um, it's because of the persecution that arises out of that, the Christians get pushed out into other parts. Um, of the uh, of the areas around and the mission of christ spreads um because of this what, what looks like a um a disastrous end to a good man um enables uh the 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 pattern that luke shows of the spread of the gospel um to to begin
1: so I always think of this story when um when i'm in jerusalem and past the damascus gate that um gate at the north end of of the old city which um, Jane and I have both visited together. We mm. were in Jerusalem a number of years ago and it was... We did uh,
0: have quite uh, a lot of other people with us I think
1: to remember Graham but yeah. Yeah we yeah. did yeah we, we <laughs> it wasn't just the two of us but, um, but uh, it was good well, once upon a time it was called St Stephen's Gate. It was a sort of um, play, place traditionally where, St- where Stephen was, was stoned whether it's there or not we don't know but somewhere around that um, that area and I guess see. What strikes me about reading the story of Stephen is that, yes, as as that is very perceptively noted, there's a kind of um, a depiction of Stephen that makes him sound like Jesus, um, makes him a uh, kind of echo of Jesus. But but at the same time, he, he is clearly a witness to Jesus, and that's primarily what he does. In fact, actually, when um, you know, there's this in, or this you know, interaction with the high priest and and he's accused of various things and then, then Stephen goes into this rather long speech um, where he basically tells the story of the Old Testament, really, from the kind of call of Abraham, you know, all the way up to, um, you know, through the, uh, um, you know, the coming of the temple and so on. And so in other words, he, he kind of tells the story uh, that leads up uh, to Jesus. He kind of paints the background. And so there's a kind of witnessing to the story that leads up to Jesus. Uh, and then, of course, right at the end, as James what he says he is, he sort of looks into the very face of Jesus as he looks into heaven and sees um, sees Jesus, the son of man, ahead of him. And so um, so that—that that is pointing towards something that is crucial to our following of Jesus, that we are fundamentally, you know, as Jane says, we're not made into Jesus. We don't become him, as it were, but we are witnesses to Jesus, which means both telling the story of Jesus um to others and, but also looking at Jesus himself and, and describing what we see there That seems to be part of our witness it seems to me is both looking at the world in the light of the glory of God that shines from the face of Jesus Christ and describing that world and what we see of it um as it's enlightened by the light of the, of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ but also describing what we see when we look into the face of Jesus there's that sort of two parts to that witness that we that we bear, but I guess Matt's point also, you know, brings it all together in the sense that you know that our witness to Christ is both in our our words of telling the story, uh, in whatever way we can, uh, but also in a life that is shaped by Jesus. And You kind of need both of those two things to be a proper witness to Jesus. You know, the words that tell the story in a life that is conformed. Jesus, and that's the form that witness takes.
0: Do you think it's fanciful, um, which it probably is, uh, that uh, we're told that Paul, Saul, is is a witness of the death of Stephen, Um, and uh, later, of course, when Jesus comes to claim him on the Damascus Road, he says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul has been there at the obvious persecution and death, somebody quite Christ-like. Do you think Luke is wanting us to see that echo there? Um, uh, this isn't um, a, a, an abstract persecution that Paul will be remembering as he encounters Christ on the Damascus Road. It will be a personified persecution. Who knows? And a really, that's going- a really,
2: really interesting idea, Jane. And of course, uh, that's hugely, formative of of, um, Paul's theology, isn't it? Paul's theology. Uh, The complete identification of Christ with his people such that persecute them you're persecuting me, which becomes the doctrine of the body of Christ in in Paul. Uh, And that identification also happens in the work of the spirit in shaping somebody's character, personality and being um, such that they become Christ-like, I think. So I, I
1: think that's that's very plausible. Yeah. And there's maybe a, a related point in that. You know, one of the issues Paul obviously faced when he went and visited his churches was, you know, well, you know, you you didn't know Jesus in the flesh, like the other apostles did. You know, Peter was a friend of Jesus. He kind of, you know, met him and went around with him. And you know, you're a Johnny Come Lately. You know, you weren't really part of the original disciples. And so they therefore, who are you as an apostle? And of course, part of his response to that was, well, I, I did see Jesus. Jesus did appear to me on the Damascus road. Mm. But there's a kind of echo of incarnation in that, that, that you know, that, that Jesus actually met him. But maybe there's an echo of the death of Jesus uh, here in, in this story as well. That, OK, Paul didn't see the death of Jesus, but he did see the death of Stephen that echoes the death of Jesus. So there's a kind of, you know, looseness there um, to his sort of bearing witness. Um Jesus and I, mean, I was wondered again going back to going visits to Jerusalem when when Paul went to, to Jerusalem and we know he went to Jerusalem because he went to the temple and you know tried to take Timothy in and you know was arrested there and so on and, you know did, did he go and try and find Golgotha um did he go and find a place where the tomb was we've got no indication that he did but I find it strange to think that he didn't do that he didn't actually go and sort of actually try and find the places where these things happened because this was the city where it was and those places presumably were still identifiable by the local Christian community because it's only you know what 30 40 years after they had taken place Um, and so um, but it may be that you know because we we don't get that reference to Paul actually visiting the sites maybe because for him actually the encounter with Jesus was precisely this you know the um, you know for him the places maybe didn't matter quite so much it was that he had encountered Christ on the Damascus road and he'd tasted something of the the death of Christ in in the in seeing the martyrdom of Stephen.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting too, I mean, I, I, as, as you say, Jane, Stephen doesn't, we don't become Jesus, but we become kind of Jesus-shaped. Um, and similarly, I mean, I think there are lots of things Jesus does that Luke doesn't claim that Stephen did them you know, feeding the multitude, for instance, never, never suggests that, presumably because Stephen didn't do that. Mm. And presumably he chooses the, these ones because Stephen did do those things. It seems to me plausible to have a kind of historical uh, side side to that. Um, and the other, the other bit to bear in mind is Stephen, as a Christian, is deliberately trying to imitate Jesus. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. part of his spiritual practice and discipline and calling and vocation. Um and therefore, if when facing death, he forgives his enemies in the way that Jesus does, that, that's not surprising. That's what he's trying to do. He's tried, he has so reflected on the death of Jesus and the manner of Jesus' death, that when he comes to, to that point himself, he's, he's deliberately seeking to, to mirror and echo um, mm-hmm. the example of his Lord. And that's that's really of-
0: helpful, that, that I mean, because that the practice of, the, of of imitating Christ so that that's what comes out when you're pressed. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's part of the point of Christian spirituality altogether, isn't it? Um, yes.
1: And I suppose St. Paul also saw himself as echoing Christ's death in some sense as well. Almost seems to have maybe slightly longed for it as well. You know, he talks in Philipp- Philippians, isn't he? Philippians 3, pen about... Um, you know, being, um, becoming like him in his death, that I might be like him in his resurrection, so there's a kind of, you know, conforming of his own pathway, and he seems to see his own arrest and forthcoming death as a sort of, you know, an offering in some way, um, you know, not a kind of repeating of the offering of Christ, but somehow an offering for the sake of Christ, and, and he sees his own death and, and as, as a conforming to the his own forthcoming death is a conforming to the death of Christ as well, a like kind of the imitation of Christ in that kind of way. One wonders whether he could have got that idea from Stephen. Um
2: and of course he he calls upon uh, his readers to imitate me as I imitate as I imitate Christ. That that is a kind of standard form of Christian discipleship um which which Paul is says he's deliberately trying to do so that's kind of part of this as well i think that's why it has the shape and the feel and the um, kind of smell that it does i think
1: i guess related to this um in a tangential way because it's about the question of you know um um, imitation. I'm not sure what the connection is. Maybe there'll be a connection that will come out of this. But <laughs>
0: think of something, Graham. Go
1: on. <laughs> <laughs> Trying hard to make a segue between this and the next one, but I think it's kind of rimley, even if I can't quite see it yet. Um, I guess the, the second question we wanted to look at today is one by uh, Tim Hopkin, who has written in about his experience during the lockdown, and he says about how, like many people over the past year, my like, Sunday church attendance has been largely YouTube-based and has included services from churches other than my home church. And something that he's reflected on a few times is um, uh, is the sacraments during um, o- during online church. And uh, he recalls watching an online meeting from a church where the viewers were invited to share in a virtual sacrament. And I guess this is something that's happened quite a lot during the lockdown. That um, people are kind of worked out if you can't actually physically go to church, you can't share bread and wine. Um, maybe people are just going to watch the priest or whoever it is who's presiding. Um, you know, celebrate communion and you kind of watch it from a distance, but don't actually take part. Some places have encouraged people to take some bread and wine at home, uh, and you know, break bread and and you know, drink a little bit of wine while they're watching it on um, online. Although it hasn't been sort of consecrated by you know the um, uh, by anyone. Uh, and so on i suppose the question that that, the tim comes to at the end of the day is um what's the relationship between the what's the relationship between the physicality of holy communion the bread and wine and if you like the sort of spiritual um benefit that's gained from it um people have talked about a sort of spiritual communion Uh, is that as good as valid as physical communion uh, if you're not able to take bread and wine um, as if there's a sort of conscious element of um, entering spiritually into this experience even if you can't actually take consecrated bread and wine is that much the same uh, you know in what sense have we missed out on something over the past year in, in communion not having been as readily available uh, as people have often experienced in the past so what do we make of this sort of um, how people have handled the, um, the, the physical virtual online nature of holy communion over the past a uh, year
2: ago. I, I I wonder whether, I mean, we were talking earlier about um, our experience of doing Godpod uh, online and how, you know, it's good, it's good, we're grateful for it, um, g- glad to be able to continue to inflict our evil memes onto uh, a worldwide uh, suffering group, um, but it's not the same and we'll be looking forward to uh, being together physically in the same room eating physical biscuits um and i wonder whether it's the same with you know online comedians and all that sort of thing it, they may have their place um but they're no substitute for the real thing and you wouldn't do it if if you could do the real thing because we're physical beings we're not avatars we are different people have Discovered time and time and over again in in the lockdown that misunderstandings arise when you're not in the same room because you don't pick up the body language and people uh, kind of misunderstand each other and get up against each other in ways that they wouldn't do if they could pop down the corridor and have a you know, pop into somebody's office and have a chat. Um, and I want I want to say. The fact that one might be able to do something online and it f- to have validity doesn't mean that the physical doesn't matter and uh, you know the actual physical act is is unimportant. On the contrary, it means I think that we are hankering after the sheer physicality of being present to each other and and eating physical bread and drinking physical wine. Yes,
0: because I mean it. I agree I I I think what you said Mike about um it, it having um vali- validity for the time I I wouldn't like to tell the holy spirit what he, the holy spirit may or may not consecrate and what by what means um, because that's not my job but I do know that that what we have been asked to do is commemorate and then um, and actually enter into Uh, Jesus' invitation to us to come and share this Last Supper. It is the hinge between um, time and eternity. It's the hinge between the incarnation and the death and resurrection. This is is the defining moment. This is the story we tell about who we are because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And that isn't just a personal um, spiritual experience, however profound. It is an entering into... Um, uh, the people created uh, by the act of God in Jesus Christ, we are becoming this new community that is invited to come and sit around the table that represents our betrayal of Christ, but also Christ's act um, to restore us to fellowship. So uh, so ultimately it has to be that, it has to be that all of us sitting around this table um, and where that is possible, that's what we're aiming for. Um but I mean I suppose throughout history and even now um there are many people who can't sit physically at that table for all kinds of reasons to do with persecution, to do with disability, to um and um and therefore to to, to privilege those who can um is again something we need to be really careful about. So how do we um how do we witness to the truth of this community that's created around God's table, but then make it as open as possible, as inviting as possible um, uh, so that we're actually really saying something about the measure of what God has done for us in Christ.
2: But uh, I agree entirely agree with that, Jane. I think there's a, there's a danger even there though, that, that we, palm people off with a uh an online substitute when mm. you know when all this is over because they're house or whatever rather than going to the trouble and indeed the privilege and the joy of being physically present to yeah. them it takes more time it's much more labor intensive uh busy clergy have got other things to do but actually people need physical company and physical yeah. relationship i think and that's yeah. of
1: yeah but there seems to be something intrinsic about the physicality of, of of um bread and wine that this i mean I, you know i guess there are many different views of the eucharist and we've probably done lots of Godbods on it in the past i can't remember to be honest but um but say uh, that you know there are views that uh, the holy communion is purely a sort of spiritual act of remembering and that bread and wine are just the kind of visual aid to help us remember something that took place in the past 2000 years ago the death of Jesus Christ or maybe even to remember our fellowship together as we share sort of um you know the the the, um uh, the bread and wine together that seems to be kind of an important part of what we're what we're doing um but I've always struggled to think that's the that's the sum of it um in that that if you like, love always has to take kind of physical form. Um, you know, when you when you, you you love someone, you you give them gifts. They're tokens of love, which, if you like, um, they're more than just they're not just gifts. They kind of they represent the love. They kind of embody it in a real way. Uh, and therefore, you know, those those gifts become things that you treasure. So you know, when I um, if I give my my wife flowers. I would be rather upset if she threw them in the bin straight away. Um, she said, oh, that's very nice, thank you very much, and then just disdained them. Uh, or, you know, a, a wedding ring, for example, is something that that seems to be more than just, a, oh, that's got a nice thing. It sort of embodies and represents the love that, you know, a, a couple share for each other, and therefore... Um, it's, it's more than just a symbol to help you remember something. It kind of embodied, is it, in, in a very significant way, and therefore we we treat it with a degree of reverence, and we don't we get upset if we lose it. Um,
0: yes, and we don't and we don't swap it for something else.
1: Um, yeah. So
0: again, I can see why, in certain circumstances, you might have to use something that isn't bread and wine, um, but actually, you can't keep doing that because you're not then telling the same story. So if, if you know, to to extend your analogy, Graham, in, I decide I don't very much like my, red, my wedding ring and I'll swap it for a ball dress. Mm. Um, I, I'm telling a different story. I'm, yeah. I'm telling a story that makes it all about what I want rather than about what I've committed myself to.
1: And the, yeah, and the wedding ring was something that was exchanged on the day when those promises were made. Uh, of a wedding, therefore they represent those promises in a very profound way and um, therefore you can't get past the physicality of it it seems to me, because uh, again a love that is not expressed in physical reality and those sort of tokens, you begin to wonder whether it's a real love at all.
2: And also the symbolism and the storied nature of the object is different Um, you know, a ring (laughs) in its going on forever never having no stopping or having an end is is a picture of a sort of love that one is aspiring to trying to model trying to uh, download one might almost say Um, whereas a bourgain doesn't carry that set of uh, connotations similarly wine has association in literature and in the biblical um, old testament passages with with blood and with sacrifice in a way that Coca-Cola doesn't it, it doesn't it's not so resonant with uh, all the layers of meaning it's picked up over the years and down through salvation, salvation history uh, and you can't simply swap one for the other and not lose all that or a lot of that
1: there's a link with the Incarnation here too isn't it which is always the point that you know Luther always makes about the Holy communion that you know when God made himself available to us, he made himself available to us in physical form in the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. And again, that's why, you know, crisps and Coca-Cola never quite work, because bread and wine represents um, something of that, you know, that's um that flesh and blood of Christ. And um and because you know, wine does bring us back to to, to you know to, to blood. Um, bread brings us back to flesh and so on. Um so I think there is something physical about that. I mean, I, I mean having said that, I've been, I well I think there is something, there is still still something worthwhile about the. the, the I can understand why people have wanted to, you know, take a bit of bread and take a bit of wine at home and and you know participate in some way, even if it's not quite the same, and it's not the same as actually sharing in the same loaf and the same cup that has been blessed and prayed over uh within the christian community it's not it's not the same as that we long for the day when we can but i can see the the kind of spiritual need for that and feel there is a sort of spiritual value in it um
0: and i mean i think if if the intention is clearly to be part of that consecrating movement that um uh, that the church is is doing in obedience to christ at that point then that's um, uh, and I think I, I would be entirely um, happy to trust the Holy Spirit to, to make it the body and blood of Christ at that point. but what I what I would worry about would be if people thought, well, okay, that means I can always do this. I can stay in my pajamas on a Sunday morning and hold up bread and wine when the priest somewhere else is doing that and and never bother to, to share to, to go and go to church again and join in the physical. Um, community and the and 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 the bread and wine that others are sharing in and uh, so what what is um what what is um acceptable in emergencies i think is not should never become the the standard because the standard is on the night before he died christ took this meal with his friends and invites us to come and do the same Um, not in our own homes but together um
2: because it's not just about me and god is it it's it's, uh, it's communion not union yes
0: um,
2: and 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 to find ways of saying that in the very way we do it seems to me to be usually essential normatively essential yeah um i did once um suggest uh, that during the pandemic people should, uh, in order to keep the sense of being part of the central, as you called it, the kind of consecrating movement, Jane, um, that people, they should post out consecrated uh, wafers to everybody who was planning to participate. And, and this became known as, it was slightly tongue-in-cheek, <laughs> but it became known as, as Michael's host in the post uh, proposal. Um, but, but is is really the essential thing is that it's it's not just me and god it's me god and the rest of the eucharistic community
1: yeah and um, it is pointing about holy communion yeah which actually is the whole center of christian faith a holy communion with god and with each other into which we're invited
0: and which we share with the people god has invited not just the people that yeah. we would choose to be with anyway yeah. um and And you know that that being part of that whole narrative of what God does and is um, and we are shaped by the narratives that we inhabit. This is the one that we're invited to 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 inhabit to make to make our to make meaning of our life um, because it happens to be the meaning uh, of the universe because it's god's God's narrative with us. Um, and so it isn't incidental um, how we do it and where we do it and that kind of thing, because it, it becomes a different story and, and one that we've made up, which is not likely to be as good as the one that God is actually offering and inhabiting.
2: In the, in the end, we are physical people, and that's a God-given thing. And we're relational people, and that's a God-given thing. And that's why the pandemic's been so hard, yeah. because both of those things have been slightly compromised. Uh, it, at least in our being together with one another. Um, and and w- there are lots of kind of technological things or whatever that, that have really helped mitigate that. But but those remain struggles and losses and absences. Uh, yeah,
1: it'll be interesting to see how we look back on this in years to come. I mean, it, in one sense, a year or a little bit more than a year of our lifetimes, it's not a huge amount. It's a... Sh- relatively short period and those of us into our you know many of you listening to this it'll be a larger proportion of your life than it is for some of us who <laughs> picky, it? um but it just struck me it is it is a period where within which we had to learn the the virtue of perseverance and patience um and you know we're in lent as we record this and we're going through a period where we do fast for a number of weeks you know, often particular things and we've had a year of fasting from various bits and pieces and also it seems to me that there are there are christian traditions where the specialness of the sacrament is observed by the fact that you hold it rarely and um, there have been some christian traditions in the past that say you know, holy communion is so important that you only do it once a year and you build up to it and you you you, um, you prepare for it and you uh, you know you, it's a, such a special thing that you do it that way that's one way of expressing the you know the the specialness of thing. Others other Christian traditions would say no, it's so special you do it every day. Mm-hmm. Um, some kind of somewhere in between of those 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 two things. There's a kind of validity in all of those. Maybe we've been forced some of us uh, into a kind of very you know rarely partaking of the Holy Communion, which hopefully builds a sense of anticipation and thanksgiving for this gift. You know when it does return in its full form in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, we have. Um, uh, anyway, two of the questions that have been sent in to us thank you very much to Matt and to Tim for your um, really helpful questions again do uh, send in others to godpod.htb.org and um, we will maybe have a go at some of those in the future so that's the end of yet another GodPod. Um we said at the beginning of this well not quite sure what, what this is going to be any good well, we'll we might bin it if, it if it if it isn't but that's been a very good discussion thank you so we say it ourselves just in so case we- nobody else does. <laughs> Exactly.
0: And there, there is no stopping us talking about things, is there? <laughs>
1: I don't think we've ever been the discussion we've ever had and thought it wasn't worth having. So um...
2: only, only one which uh, they forgot to push the bu- recording, but somebody forgot to push the c- recording button and we tried to redo it and it was just awful because we it knew was... what we were going
1: to say. I know, I remember it well. Anyway, those are pastimes. Now the technology works. <laughs> anyway, thanks. Yeah, thanks for the technology. It's a good reminder to uh, give thanks to, give to, to Jess who um, uh, prepares all these things and presses the buttons and does it really well. So thanks, Jess. But also thanks to Jane and Mike. And um, see you again for another God Pod soon.
0: Bye.
2: See yeah.
0: That was God Pod, a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org. You can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.